Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. This is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to hit a few listener questions. One is pretty meaty from Lisa, where she's purchased a site that looks like uh, traffic dropped from algorithm updates, and she's kind of wondering what she should do. Keep working on this site, work on another site, and move on. I'm going to go through all those sort of things, including the sunk cost fallacy. We also have a couple updates from in questions. So update and a question. One from Garav, who was on the show not too long ago, and a question from Dakota. So we'll dig into a couple of those areas. I do want to shout out to Ezoic and their site speed accelerator. They are a uh, sponsor of the show. It'll help your site load faster, increase, or sorry, not increase, it'll improve the page load times and improve improve and increase your Google page speed insight scores by using best practices like image optimization, CSS rendering, and so much more. It is a standalone product that any website owner can use free for a seven-day trial. They're so confident in the product, they guarantee a publisher's score of 80 or higher that's 80 or higher for the Google PageSpeed Insights score after one week with the SiteSpeed Accelerator. And my personal tip is to get your site loading as quickly as possible before you add any sort of optimization using any tool, whether it's the SiteSpeed Accelerator from Ezoic or any other. So basically, try to do a good job on your own before you try to optimize. Otherwise, you'll end up with sort of sloppy optimization. So that's my tip. And it'll work for any kind of site, affiliate sites, B2B, B2C. We also have e-commerce enterprise sites and but really any kind of site. So it doesn't have to be WordPress. For example, a lot of people are like, hey, I use Drupal. I use some other thing. Can I use the site speed accelerator on this other thing? The answer is uh, yes, you can. So check it out. I appreciate Ezoic and give them a shout if you uh, haven't checked them out before. Let me get into the question from Lisa. I'm going to try to read it as well as I can. If there's any mistakes, it's probably my fault, not Lisa's. I just want to say this, this is Lisa now. Hey Doug, I just want to say that your channel has helped me the most with understanding niche website building. However, I'm getting really depressed now after watching your interview with John Dykstra from about a year ago, which would have been around 2019. I just got about halfway through and I felt compelled to send you this email. You asked a question to John from one of the readers concerning a site that was penalized by Google. I'm not sure what you remember um, about my situation about a website that I bought and paid too much for because I didn't know what I was doing. I was very green and naive and I didn't know what to look for and what questions to ask. Ultimately, I paid $30,000 for a worthless site. Then last May, the Google update slammed my site hard. I've been trying to turn the website around by removing bad content and doing remediation work. In addition, I'm having Adam from Niche Website Builders add more content. I've purchased about 50,000 words in the content package and there's still no traffic. In fact, it's worse. I'm currently doing the monthly plan for four months. Um, Adam has helped and uploaded a new disavow file to Google for the site. So our plan is to see what happens in the next couple of months. Having said this, my heart sank when you and John both mentioned to walk away 
from a site that's penalized and start a new project. I have so much money invested here and I just keep going more broke. What should I do? Should I move the content and the new content? Sorry, should I move the new content to a new domain? Thanks, Lisa. All right, Lisa, there's so much going on here. Thanks for writing in and sharing your story. I know this is gonna help out a lot of other people. This is a common thing. And actually, I'm gonna tie it back to some previous guests in, in a little bit. What I wrote back without much more information was basically, thanks for the support. I, I appreciate everyone that sends in an email and asked her permission to use it for a you know podcast and YouTube episode. Then I directed her to sunk cost bias, uh, sunk cost fallacy, and Seth Godin has a great podcast episode covering this. It's a well-known like cognitive bias. I'm starting to talk way out of my area of expertise, but I've heard a lot of other people talk about it. And basically, Lisa's going through sunk cost. I mean, some of the things that you said are literally sunk cost um, fallacy activities. And just those are the decisions that you would make. And while I'm talking about it, and while I, I actually wrote this back to Lisa, no one's immune from this. I struggle with sunk costs all the time, constantly. It's really hard, even if you know that you're doing it, even if you know what to look out for and you're literally probably making a bad decision, you may still just keep on with it. It's very, very easy to do, even for huge, massive things. So I will tell people, go look up Seth Godin and just Google sunk cost and you'll find one of his podcast episodes about it and you'll be able to dive in. The thing that Lisa said that is literally sunk, the sunk cost fallacy in like real life here, I have so much money invested here and I just keep going more broke. And it's like, I, I have so much invested. I don't want to walk away from this. I want to keep, I want to keep doing this, even though I'm not sure what to do. Now, the other thing I told her is understand sunk costs, <laughs> understand that whole situation, but the site might be fine. It depends on the root cause. And by the way, I, think at one point, um, Lisa perhaps emailed me, maybe we had a conversation where she shared what site it was and some of the details, but I I apologize. I I don't remember Lisa, if you actually did tell me, um, when I got the email, I think it was from a different email address than what I had for you initially. So I didn't know it was you, Lisa, that I've talked to before. So it depends on the root cause. So the site could be fine, unless there's some, you know, something else going on, which I only under, I only know what you told me in this email here. So if there are some bad links and you can disavow them, then you, you could be okay. You can disavow those links. It might take a little time, but then you'll be okay. Um, if there's some other issues, like if the content is just terrible and all the links are bad and maybe there are several 301 redirects from expired domains. There's many things that a person can do that Google doesn't like. And if all of those bad things were done, it could be just more work to try to figure out what's going on. If that's the case, it might be good to bail. So ask Lisa about more details, like you know where you bought the site from. If I was curious if there was any specific like uh, 
marketplace or vendor that you were working with. I also was curious about the monthly traffic and the earnings when she bought, what happened with the drop? Like, was there any research done? I mean, sometimes it's really hard to tell these days. It's almost impossible to tell, but there could be something where you're like, oh, you know what? This is a little weird. And finally, I was curious about her overall experience. Now, I don't remember the conversation with John specifically. Not only was it a long time ago, but John and I have talked a lot and I've talked with a lot of other people. All those things kind of blur in my mind. But I imagine John and I, I can't speak for him because I don't know what he was thinking, but both of us have several years of experience and we also have resources to invest in new projects. And I, I really don't remember, but at this point in time, I'm pretty sure John and I are a little bit better at seeing sunk costs as it relates to niche sites. I know sometimes we probably spent too much time on certain things and we know not to do that again. It doesn't mean that John and I don't suffer the same sunk cost bias on our own projects, but sometimes it's easier for us to, at least for me, I know I can look at something and just say, you know what? It's actually better if I just like walk away from this than even try to, let's say I have a, a site that I've been, actually, this is a real thing. I have a site that I have been neglecting for years. I set it aside years ago thinking, hey, I'm going to come back to it. I have not gone back to it. And I've thought, oh, there's some inherent value here. I could probably sell it for, I'm just going to make up a number. I could probably sell it for like $15,000, but I know it would take some work to even be able to do that. So again, I'm like trying to maybe spend more time on it, spend more money to get it to a spot where I could sell it for a little bit more. Or, I mean, technically at this point in time, it's costing me money each year when I'm paying for hosting and renewing the domain name. And it may actually be better off if I just let it go away. Like, the domain would go away. The content would go away. I would never think about it again and it would just be gone. So with that said, if you're unfamiliar with the sunk cost bias, I'm going to read a short definition. You may hear this kind of uh, summarized in like layman's terms or something where someone will say like, you're throwing good money after bad. So you've made some investment and it's not a good investment, but you keep sending money or resources into that investment. So here I looked it up on behavioraleconomics.com, which I think I probably just ranked number one in Google. So I went to it. Individuals commit the sunk cost fallacy when they continue a behavior or endeavor as a result of previously invested resources. Those could be time, money, or effort. This fallacy, which is related to loss aversion and status quo bias can also be viewed as bias resulting from an ongoing commitment. For example, individuals sometimes order too much food and then they overeat just to, quote, get their money's worth. Guilty as charged. I literally will do that. Similarly, a person may have a $20 ticket to a concert and then drive hours through a blizzard just because she feels that she has to attend due to having made the initial investment. If the costs outweigh the benefits, 
the, the extra cost incurred, i.e. the inconvenience, the time, and even money are held in a different mental account than a one associated with the ticket transaction. Research suggests that rats, mice, and humans <laughs> are all sensitive to sunk costs after they've made the decision to pursue a reward. And the, the thing is, it's really easy to do. Again, you try to get your money's worth. Maybe you go to a buffet and you're thinking, hey, I, I need to at least get X amount of food or I'm not getting my money's worth. Again, overeat to make sure that you're, yeah, it's just, it's a silly thing. It's really easy to do. And the example that Seth Godin gives in his podcast is if you're a lawyer, you may think, hey, I hate my job. I don't want to do this anymore. This is terrible. I'm not happy. But you're thinking, well, I invested all this time and effort. I went to law school. I passed the bar. I've been trying to work my way up through the, uh, you know, the partner track and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, it's like, you're not happy. You're just continuing to stick with the status quo. You're afraid potentially of like losing the value that you got from law school and all the time that you've spent trying to make partner and so on. So very easy to do. I did this with my career. <laughs> Actually, I remember in college, some early on, I would say much earlier on than I would have thought that I would have figured this out. So we'll say two to three years in, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Maybe I should change majors and switch schools and maybe aim more towards business. But, and by the way, three years may sound like almost done with school for some people, but for me, that was like a little under halfway. <laughs> so it took me about six and a half years to make it through uh, Georgia Tech. I co-opt and stuff. So it's not like I, I didn't fail anything, but it just, it took a little while because I was working my way through and yeah, six and a half years. I mean, I, I have friends, a lot of, a lot of my friends were making it through in like three and a half. Then us slackers kind of figured out that we were we're a little older than some of the other seniors. So anyway, sunk cost fallacy, look it up. It's very interesting. You'll probably be able to identify some areas where you have committed some uh, sunk cost uh, fallacy stuff. So Lisa says, I appreciate you take the time. This is her response back to me. I appreciate you taking the time to respond and maybe hopefully give me a brighter light on the situation. She listened to Seth's podcast a couple of times and it's exactly what she's feeling. I guess I chose the gift of my past. This is a reference to this show. Essentially, to get around the sunk cost, you have to look at your situation right now and ignore the past. So you have to decide like, is it going to be more effort? Is it going to be harder for me to drive to the concert through the snow? Is it going to cost more at the end? And if so, then it's not, it's, it's not something you should do. You should ignore the initial in investment and just look at what you're at or where you're at right now and the situation. And if you'll be better off at the end of the day by doing something or not doing something, got to ignore the past. So she bought the site directly from the owner. Basically, she was doing some research in the niche and a, a pop-up showed up 
in, oh, let's see, the website popped up in Google and then there was a banner on the website. Yeah, like a pop-up banner saying the site was for sale. They used escrow.com and then she bought the site. From around May to June, the site made $450 or so. And then from October through October and November, it made about 130 bucks. So earnings dropped quite a bit. And just thinking of the, the quick math, if the site was making roughly $250 per month and she paid 30K, there's a good chance she overpaid. And this, this is just the Amazon reporting. So now, the other thing that she mentioned is the previous owner used guest posting as a way to make money from the site and basically just published a bunch of things that weren't related to the site. They weren't related to any topic in the niche. So the, essentially the person was selling guest posts on their site. So I'm not sure if that was a huge portion of the earnings or something like that. But when you do the math, you know, if the site was making 250 bucks per month, 30K is a, a little, not just a little bit, quite, quite a bit higher than what you would expect. I mean, that, that's a pretty high multiple. And rounding it out, Lisa mentions she didn't have much experience. She bought a few sites from Human Proof Designs, another company that sells done-for-you sites, but didn't know what to do with them after I bought them, so they kind of sat there. No one explained that I had to add content or maybe I didn't fully understand the concept. Then I went into Facebook marketing, which was another bad decision. I wasted a year there and about another 20K between courses and Facebook ads. Then I decided to go back to the niche website idea. I tried to tinker with the sites that I bought from Human Proof Designs, but they weren't topics that I was passionate about. And that's when I bought the site from the, the random owner when she was doing research. And it kills me when I see websites on Motion Invest and Flippa making money and the price that she paid for hers. So Lisa, thanks again for sharing all the all these details. Basically, she further says, I, th this is where I'm at right now. Do I go with my dip and wait, which is another Seth Godin reference there. P people, check out Seth Godin. R really smart, really smart dude. And he can kind of get you out of, out of your head a little bit and just motivated to do some work and hopefully improve along the way. I mean, you just don't blindly do work, but you try to try to do a better job. So I think a couple things. Number one, you are assessing where the site was, right? And you're removing the content that's sort of garbage and you're adding good content that fits within the niche with niche website builders. And I think that's a smart move. You're also you know, trying to disavow the bad links that were out there. I'm not sure where those came from, but Adam is probably assessing those and having a look and helping you get rid of those bad links. Now, it you mentioned something earlier where you're like, hey, I'm going more broke. And that concerns me. I mean, I am very conservative financially and I highly recommend people not going into debt to try to work on their side hustle. So I don't know everyone's situation and I'm not a financial advisor, but you know, as you're going into debt, if you are going into debt, right? So I'm reading in between the lines, but if you are going into debt, generally not a good idea, 
you're going to have to, you're going to have to pay that off, right? You're going to have to pay it off. And if your interest rate that you're having to pay, if you're actually going into debt, it could make it very difficult to pull yourself into the black and then, you know, move forward. Now, other people are a lot more willing to take those risks, but I'm not, I'm, I'm just generally not. And I was always pulling money from my day job to invest and really tried to keep expenses low. I still try to keep expenses low and run a very lean team occasionally. I mean, I think if anything, I overpay um, for my assistants and my, my VAs, my executive assistant, because I want to make sure that I have, you know, I want to make sure I have good people that are hopefully, you know, loyal and they want to keep working with me. And while I know I could probably get similar work done for half the price, I am okay with paying a little bit more because I like the people that I'm working with. So the point is don't, don't go into debt. I, I don't recommend that as a route. I know it's easy to put it on your credit card and have to, to deal with that. But long-term is not, is not a solution. So I'm not sure, you know, where everyone's at or where you're specifically at Lisa here, but I just want to point that out that not good. It's going to make everything harder in the long run, add even more pressure. So you're on the right route. You're getting rid of the bad stuff. You're adding good things. And depending on what's going on with the site, you may need to invest and ignore the cost, but if you weren't paying, then you would need to, you know, write the content yourself and publish the content yourself. So once you have some work done, reevaluating where things are at after I would say two to three months, roughly a quarter, that should give you enough data, hopefully that are we trending in the right direction? you are publishing new content. Hopefully that content is bringing in more impressions, more clicks, which you could verify in the Google search console. You can see that in Google analytics and just see, okay, some people are visiting the, visiting the site. We are moving in the right direction. The trend is good. So we can refine, we can do a little bit more of what's working the best a little bit less of the things that aren't working as well so that you're continuing to move in the right direction and just compound on top of that momentum. So if you work on this for a quarter and you invest thousands of dollars, you take a look and you see, you know what? This is actually not moving at all. And this looks like it's not working. Then you may need to bail at that point. Now, the unfortunate part is you would have invested more money and time into the project. But there's a chance that it could pull out of this, you know, sort of spiral and move in the right direction. Of course, you won't know until you try it, which is the other thing. I mean, if you, if you just kept doing the same thing and the site kept declining, that would be terrible. So at least this is you making a decision and a commitment to move forward and hopefully you'll see something. You'll know that it's good or it's bad and you can make a decision from there. If it's bad and you see, hey, this is not working, I need to move on to something else, you will be better off 
by moving on to something else versus sticking with it for another whatever year. And, and the time frames, right? A little bit arbitrary. I said two to three months, but um, maybe shorter, maybe longer. But the point is in, let's say two years, if it looks like it's not working out and you stuck with it for two more years, then the sunk costs are even worse. There's an episode, I believe there's an episode where I talk about my foreclosure. I'm like 99% sure I did an episode on it. That is like a, that is a huge sunk cost, right? So I bought a house back in late 2005. That was when they were loaning out money like crazy right before the financial crisis and all that stuff, 2008, 2009. And basically I bought the house then. I lived there for a while. It was okay. Rented it out for a bit. I realized I was losing money every month, even though I was renting it out. And that was a huge sunk cost. And at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? This fucking sucks. And I can't renegotiate my loan. The mortgage company is not working with me. So I let it go into foreclosure. Best financial decision I made. It was a huge amount of sunk cost, right? I put tens of thousands of dollars, many hours. Um, I worked on the house with my dad a lot, although we're not we're not super handy, but we can get a couple things done here and there. Essentially, walking away from that was walking away from, you know, a huge amount of sunk cost and revenue, not revenue, but in, in money that I paid for my housing and then money for improvements on the property, um, taxes that I paid on it, again, tens of thousands of dollars, and then just the emotional connection I had to the home as well. So that was just something where I was like, you know what, it's time to walk away. And it turned out to be a great decision in the long run. Yeah, that was a tough one. That was a tough one. I have two callbacks for you from a couple episodes that they relate to the question here. So that's why I'm bringing it up. One is Gaurav. Gaurav was on the show a few months back. He bought a site a few days before the Amazon commission rate change hit and his site lost a lot of revenue because of it. He kept moving forward and had to figure out what to do. And he sent me an email recently to update me on some something he was testing, which I'll talk about in a second. But basically, he is making a lot more than he was before. He, let me get to the update here in this little email. He said in November, he made over $8,000, which was Amazon affiliate plus ads. And he's looking forward to scaling things even more. He sent me a couple graphs of his analytics and of his earnings over on Amazon. And it's just a, you know, a nice, a nice uh, graph with the trend pointing upward to the right. So everything looks like it's going great for him. And essentially, I don't remember the, all the details of his story, but he bought a site and he ran into trouble right away, right away. So it was not, it was not very positive, but he kept pushing through and he was, he was like, I'm, I'm going to do this and we're going to figure it out. The next person is Mo Moolah, who was on the show not too long ago. And he's actually, he did an awesome job 
emailing me and some of my peers, letting them know, hey, I got a good story. So he made the rounds on several shows. Hopefully he's getting traction on some of the projects he's working on. Basically, same deal. About a year ago, he bought a site and there was an algorithm update that impacted his traffic and earnings dramatically. He didn't have any skills in the SEO and affiliate marketing area. He came from the email marketing world. So he had some, he had marketing chops, of course, but he didn't know exactly what it needed to work on. And then he just started whittling down the list of things that could be wrong, that he could fix and that he could improve on the site. And he eventually sold the site for roughly 10 times what he purchased it for. If I remember the numbers, it was something like he bought it for 2,400 and sold it for 27,000 or 2,724,000. $2, I could be inverting or transposing those. The point is he hit adversity too. And for his site, he was able to fix things up and get it back on the right track. Now, I'm telling you that as two positive stories. I also have stories where people, you know, had their site hit. I don't have a fresh, a fresh one of those stories to share with you, Lisa, but sometimes you just got to walk away and that's a better decision. And you don't know until you, you know, analyze, maybe do what you're doing, put a little more effort in, see if the trend, if the momentum shifts here, and then you can make a decision from there, but don't feel bad walking away if you need to, that could be the best decision. Thanks again, Lisa. If people have follow-up questions, if you have follow-up points, if you're like, hey, I want to respond to Lisa, shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. At the beginning of her email, she said, hey, I stopped in the middle of the episode and I wanted to shoot you this message because I really, I'm, I'm freaking out over here. Lisa was freaking out. So I hope I hope we brought a little light to this and hopefully you'll be able to move forward. Please check back in whenever you have some more data. I want to give a quick shout to Niche Website Builders and their Q&A segment. So I'm, I'm going to cover a, a quick question, but I do want to give an update from the campaign they're running for me. I get a lot of emails on this, which is kind of cool. People are into the work that they're doing for me. So Niche Website Builders, they do some guest posting and they have some content packages. Like I mentioned before, Adam from Niche Website Builders is working with Lisa on content. She has like 50,000 words coming her way and I have 20,000 words a month that they work on uh, for me. It's just an ongoing package. They also have a shotgun skyscraper campaign that they could run for you. I'm using the budget plan and I've been on this plan for about four and a half months or so. Recently, I saw that my domain rating went up from about 10. Now it's about 45. The site was brand new in July of 2020. I started publishing the first content roughly in mid-July they started working with me at the end of the month and really they didn't publish the first skyscraper article until I would say like early to mid August. So it takes a little while to get rolling, but at this point in time, after four and a half months, they've 
They got 50 links for me and the average domain rating as reported by Ahrefs is 47.52. I have the spreadsheet, the whole report open for me right here. So some of them span from a domain rating, a DR of 77, there's a 72. The first several were very, very high. I think the average was, you know, 60 something. Now I'm seeing some more sprinkled in. Um, there's a few in the teens. There's a lot in the twenties, a lot in the thirties. Some of them are lower, but relevant to the topic area for the overall site and the article that we're you know trying to link to. So they're doing a great job. And what I observe is they're improving as they go. So in September, they got nine links. October, only eight. November, they got 18. In December, they got 15. So they published two articles on the site. And the way the skyscraper campaigns work, they publish a excellent piece of content. There are five to 6,000 words, at least for the campaign they're working on with me. I think they publish them once a quarter. So in the budget plan, the, the lowest plan, they don't publish articles as often. And then once they publish the article, they send out emails to prospects to see if they'll link to it. So they either picked a better article or they're finding better prospects, maybe a little combo of the two. But I think this is probably typical whether you're doing a campaign for yourself. What, what, I mean, even if it's not a shotgun skyscraper campaign, you probably improve. And from my days of doing outreach from a few years back when I was running a small guest posting agency, it's, it was rough sometimes. You maybe you tried to find prospects and your list was crappy. Maybe you tried to email a handful of people and then they wouldn't reply back. And then you had to revisit your list and figure out, okay, what, what did I do wrong here? Maybe there's some other people that are more interested in getting emails from me. So I think they're improving. They're doing a great job and they sponsor this Q&A segment. This question is from Dakota. Dakota says, I just recently started listening to the podcast. I love the content and the guests you have on. Thanks. Appreciate it. I was wondering what you thought about affiliate marketing networks like ClickBank, some other store and websites like that. Are they good for beginners or do I recommend staying away from them? Love the show and the content. Cool to go to thanks for listening to the show and sending the message. It depends on exactly what you're trying to do. ClickBank is fine. I, I have sold many things from ClickBank in the past. I don't know the, uh, there's other ones called like Digistore24. I don't know what that is, but there are a lot of affiliate marketing networks like Commission Junction, Share a Sale, and there's, you know, hundreds of others out there. ClickBank could be fine. A lot of times what I see on ClickBank is just really shitty, to be honest with you. Sometimes they are like crappy eBooks or some sort of like fear-based, like old school internet marketing kind of garbage. That, that's not always the case. I have sold software through ClickBank. I think, uh, I, actually, I can't remember which software, but there was like legit software that a lot of us used and it was sold through ClickBank because it was a good marketplace and they managed the affiliate transactions and a lot of the processing. So it was fine from that standpoint. 
I think nowadays, a lot of the software companies that I was working with, they've moved on to other affiliate programs. ShareSale seems to be pretty popular. And there's a few others out there. I, I don't remember them. But if you're looking at digital products and similar, then maybe ClickBank is a good one. You can find physical products on there as well. But again, a lot of times I see... I guess just lower quality and things that I don't personally want to be associated with on ClickBank. You'll have to look at your niche and you'll have to figure things out. Now, as far as them being good for beginners, probably, I mean, I think it would be fine. It just depends on what you want to work on. That said, I mean, any of the more mature marketplaces out there are probably fine. On a recent live stream, I think someone sent in a question that said, I've heard people have issues with affiliate tracking and what should I do? Like, should I trust the companies to track the affiliate clicks and commissions and all that stuff? And how do I keep track of it myself? Because maybe I don't trust them because I heard some people were getting scammed. So with that, I would say, if you're dealing with a big company, say like Amazon, or if you are working through share a sale or commission junction, those are all very mature affiliate programs. Amazon has things working pretty well, I would say. I mean, they are Amazon. And if you're working with a smaller company, but they're working through share a sale, for example, that all that tracking is going to be taken care of. And it's probably going to be like more accurate than then you'd be able to track. I mean, honestly, it's pretty robust and there's enough users working through it that I just don't worry about it. Now, if you're working with a smaller company that's managing it themselves, if you think that you can't trust them, then you probably shouldn't work with them. So I like to have a, at least a personal relationship via email with anyone that's an affiliate for me. So if a random person just emails me and says, hey, I want to be an affiliate. Can I sell your stuff? I probably I'll probably say, well, what do you, who are you? <laughs> who are you and how are you going to sell it? Tell me about yourself and kind of leave it open. That's just how I work. I know a couple other people that are, I mean, they may accept anyone to apply, but I'm sure they'll go and check and make sure the person or company is marketing it, marketing their products in a way that they're comfortable with. So the, the whole point here is like, if you don't trust the company, if you don't trust the individual, then you probably shouldn't work with them. Now, it doesn't mean you don't want to maybe set up pretty links to set up your affiliate links and tracking so that you can at least see, oh, I sent over 10,000 clicks and you can see the trends over time and have some understanding in that area to identify if maybe the tracking got broken, maybe the links are changed or something like that. Now, some people may be thinking, Hey Doug, uh, what, what if like, I feel like maybe Amazon is not going to track it properly, or maybe I don't trust Amazon and I want to track it myself. So you, you could try to, you know, figure out how to track all those links and stuff. But the fact is, if you had issues with um, Amazon and what they were paying with you, paying you or 
dealing with you in any fashion, there's probably not much you can do. Like good luck getting them on, on the phone and talking to you. It's pretty tough. They used to have a, a phone number that you can call. They used to have a whole lot more for the associates. Now they really, they don't have nearly as much. It's a little harder to get in touch with anyone. And the fact is they're probably not going to work with you. You would have to sue them and try to get your, your money back. I, I actually know a couple people who had some issues with Amazon had to sue them. I think they actually won. At least that's the story that I was told. And it makes sense in the context of the story that I know. So the point is even Amazon, right? They're probably not going to work with you very much. And if you have an issue and you don't get a response, you may have to take them to court and try and sue them. So the overall, I mean, this escalated out of control really quickly, but basically I wouldn't worry about it too much as long as you're working with like a company that you trust, people that you trust, you're probably going to be okay. If you're working through a big program, like ClickBank, Share Sale, Commission Junction, many others out there, you're going to be okay. Companies that are selling, especially physical products, I think they have a lot invested in their brand. Not always, but companies don't want to screw over their customers and their partners that are helping selling the product. So you're probably going to be okay. There's always you know potential that there's dishonest people, but generally if you're selling products for them and you have traffic and you have some clout then they're not going to want to screw you over as far as being a beginner honestly amazon is probably the easiest way to get started with most physical products quickly if you are interested in kind of a different area let's say software maybe you want to review android apps and refer people that way Great. That, that could be a great market. And then you could sort of um, use different affiliate program. I don't know if there's one for, that was a weird example. I don't know if there's one for Android, I suspect, but let's say you have, uh, you know, reviews for software products on Macs. So that, that would be a fine route. And then in that case, you would work with probably the individual affiliate programs for the various software vendors that are selling the products that you're reviewing. So it all makes sense. It just depends on what you're trying to do. Amazon is super easy to get started because they have so many products. People are comfortable buying on Amazon and it's fairly straightforward to sign up once you launch a site. So I think that covers it for today. Great. So Dakota, if you have any follow-up questions, let me know. Thanks for sending in the question. Much appreciated over at the uh, Niche Website Builders. They, they're doing a great job for me with this campaign. And you can save 10% on their link building package, which includes the Shotgun Skyscraper campaign that they're working on for me. And if you get content, you get 10% additional content. If you use my affiliate link, there's a link in the show notes there. I get a commission, you know, which is great. Helps me buy craft beer and maybe imported beer from Belgium. It's kind of my favorite. So I think I'm rambling on now. I'm going to leave it at that. Have a great day out there. Catch you on the next episode. 
you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here at my computer recording stuff, and uh, you're listening to it, and I think that's awesome. I want to let you know about some courses that I have. First is Multi-Profit Site. It's a step-by-step framework to start a site, beginning at keyword research and competition analysis, and we move into publishing content, outsourcing, and promoting the website. And it even goes deeper into creating an email list, using it for marketing, of course, and making more money, and even selling your site. Now, if you already have a site and you're looking to grow it, i.e. get more traffic and get more revenue, then check out Site Growth Plan which helps you assess where your site is currently, execute a gap analysis so you know what you need to work on and in what order. It'll help you prioritize and execute in the most efficient way. Next is Haro Link Building, and that shows you how to get started and get white hat links with media outlets at virtually no cost. Well, other than your time. Yes, your time is very valuable, but these links are great and even Google can't ignore them. They can't help but like it. The course teaches you the basics of Haro, how to submit pitches to media outlets that are actually requesting them, plus how you can outsource the whole process and put it on autopilot. One of the units even covers how to turn the process upside down and using Haro as a reporter yourself. The reverse Haro technique helped me land some amazing backlinks in even less time than I thought was possible. You can go to courses.nichesiteproject.com to see the course offerings and some other things that I'm working on. That helps support this podcast and feed Georgie the Border Collie. And it does help pay for some delicious craft beers, and that's for me. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates.